You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Welcome to the World Football Program, 107.9 FM, Radio Fremantle. We've got a very full studio this morning for at least the first hour. Myself, mm. Penny Tannerhoth, in the driving seat. Pete Skeeler. Morning, Pete. Morning. Tom Dolman. Hi, Tom. Hey, Pam. And Lou Prospero. Good morning, Lou. Good morning. We're all looking very bright and very Matildas-like, except for you, Tom. What's the deal? You're not affiliating with anyone there at the moment in black? I just like being a little bit different, Penny. <laughs> okay, we're all wearing our Matildas and volunteer gear. We're going to take a few photos afterwards. State Museum is looking to get some nice photos of us in our fan gear and display it and archive it and whatever they're going to do with it for posterity, which is really nice. So yeah. we're part of history, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It is. Nice and, statement, Lou. Well, it's true. I mean, it, when um, I was working the shift in our last shift, I worked at the airport as well as the stadium. And I said this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience that we're all going to have because, I don't know, I think it's a big stretch to have the Men's World Cup here, but hopefully we can happen. But if it doesn't, this, in my lifetime, I think will be the only major tournament worldwide tournament that we're going to have in this country and what a success it was. Mm. Yes, in all as, regards. As, as volunteers, how much of the games did you actually get to see? We weren't allowed to watch the games. Okay, so... so but some of us snuck <laughs> and stayed behind anyway. But we were allowed to stay in the volunteers' tent yep. and watch the game on the screen. Yep. But, you know, when you're right in the middle of the stadium... Why would you watch it on the screen? You could be doing that at home. So, yeah, exactly. But the atmosphere um, was fantastic. I mean, the Irish built yes. out their national anthem and so did Colombia. Yeah. Colombia blew the roof of the I felt, I felt Colombia yes, was the, the loudest team there. Beg your pardon? Uh, of all the all the Perth games, the Colombian fans were yes, the loudest. Yes, they were. And, I was and just the so brightest. I didn't realise there was such a big community here in Perth. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. But mind you... Don't forget, there was a lot of people that actually flew in from overseas to to yeah. follow their teams around the world. So, I'd like to great. know the stats on that. How many people came from outside yeah. of Perth to support? I know yeah. in the volunteer fan base, I picked up some pins from volunteers that came from England and Russia. It was great. 
I was so hoping that Columbia would score. I yeah. would just wanted to hear the crowd go off, but unfortunately it didn't happen. They were going off in different ways, right through the match, really. Oh, yeah, they yeah, yeah. Vocal. They had their drums going and yeah. the atmosphere. Oh, it's just th- This is one thing about world football that nobody else can emulate is the passion of the fans mm. and to bring their culture with them and to hear it firsthand. You know, I went to France... 2019 and this blew that tournament out of the water mm. the 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 atmosphere the the passion of the um crowd of the fans of the teams the just the buzz around the stadium you know people were rolling up three or four hours before kickoff mm. Unbelievable! You know the Chinese were outside the stadium, beating their <laughs> drums and and, sh- and having their dragon dances. And where else in the world do you get that? Are you saying that in France it wasn't like that? Nothing like it. It was so subdued. I, I just couldn't understand it. We were talking here in the lead up in Perth, anyway, that it was. I thought it was quite quiet. I thought there would have been more media attention. I know yeah. you were driving all around Perth looking for signs there, Penny. <laughs> They're still up, by the way. I had a drive around yesterday. Well, <laughs> they stayed longer than they should have beforehand. But look. I thought Pete would have put up a ladder and ripped some of them down and be in his backyard, nailed to his back wall. Just say, I haven't done that. <laughs> well, that poses the question, you know, my role was, one of my roles was to unravel that banner mm. before kickoff. Yep. It's got Perth Boroloo on it. Where is that going to be now? Talk to Tourism WA. They got it? Talk to Tourism WA. Oh, good. Well, let's You'll display have to, it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's um, institutions like the, the museum and so forth talking to them so that they can keep those things in their oh, fantastic. acquisitions yeah. and collections. Yeah, but they've got to display it. You know, he's having it in the back cabinet somewhere. You know, let's put it out there. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So great conversations. Uh, still buzzing from a few things. I've noticed post-World Cup. Final, they had all the uh, merchandising printed now and it's available online for FIFA stores like Spain versus uh, England, um, you know, the scarves and the shirts and everything because they obviously couldn't get enough printed in quick enough time beforehand. So things or are... goalkeeper jerseys for that matter. <sighs> yeah. I, I, I don't understand the logic there behind Nike, you know, with Nike there saying... Talking to that microphone, Pete, so we can all we've, hear We've voice. decided, yeah, what they say? It wasn't part of their commercial strategy to sell goalkeeper kits. Uh, Hopefully there's been enough discussion about it now, enough banter and social platforms that they'll consider it. <laughs> Se- seems know. like an absolute gimme to me. Yeah, I don't know. I must admit, I mean, I'm a goalkeeper, but uh, would I buy a goalkeeping jacket? I don't know about that. Uh, I haven't ever even thought about it. And the fact that I've never seen one in a shop to buy... Well, I mean, you, go, you go to the Glory store, um, you know, at, at game on game day at Glory, you can, you can get a keeper kit. Okay. But a fan kit with someone's name on it, like a player on it. Well, you can get names put on the back, but, you know, keeper kits are sold the same as, you know, you can you can get the purple Glory shirt or you can yeah. get the way strip or you can get a keeper kit. Um, so I don't understand why FIFA, or uh, sorry, not FIFA, Nike would have said, well, we didn't think anyone wanted to buy a goalkeeping kit. Hmm. Well, maybe because it's not in the country's colours. Because the keeper's always a different colour, right? Yeah. Inside the pink. That's part. Well, I mean, that's part of the thing is you sort of look at it. You you 
if you see someone wearing a keeper kit, you know, yeah. a fan, you, you know it's a keeper kit. You don't well, you've go, got to look at the crest to see yeah, which country you know, it's from. You, you normally know pretty easily. You don't sort of scratch your head and go, who's, who's you know, what, what's that shirt there? You know, that's, that's Australian keeper or glory keeper. Or... Guys, we're going to move on a little bit because we've got Tommy in here for a little while. We'll talk local football, but a big thank you to everybody that supports the program, especially to everyone that listens in. If you miss any part of the show, you can go to theworldfootballprogram.com.au website and... Click on podcast, or if you're somewhere out and about, you can log in to the Radio Fremantle website and listen live. Many ways you can catch us. Um, big thank you very much to Futsal WA, Greg Farrell and the team there. Big five-a-side competition in Perth, always expanding. Every time Greg talks to us, there's more competitions being added to the repertoire there. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron and Gate and Fence Hardware WA and we'll add to Perth Glory because they'll be giving us tickets to give away to all of the home games. I believe at this stage it's A-League W, so we'll work on the others. Um, When they're available, we'll let you know and uh, we'll work out uh, a little competition (laughs) to give away. Uh, And a big thank you to Nick Templeman that uh, maintains the website and all the IT stuff. And, Pete, thanks very much for changing the photos on the World Football Group page. It's been pretty cool. (laughs) Well, I was thinking we're at the end of the World Cup now, so I don't know if we want to go back to the old one of the the lads in the glory shed or if we want to just pick something new and fresh or leave it as it is because I think the last one I put up was of the World Cup trophy itself. So Yes, it was. Whether we leave that one up for a little while. Yep. We'll discuss. The show today consists of local banter, of course, the business end of the seasons here in Perth with cups and promotions and relegations happening. Uh, Tom Dolman's in the studio to chat us through what's happening there. Tal Karp, who is the CEO of Y Australia, former Matilda and teammate when she was like about 12 uh, here in WA, is going to join us and have a bit of a banter about football. Miranda Templeman is going to join us She's signed with Melbourne Victory. This will be her second season. Melbourne Victory goalkeeper. Talk A-League W News. And Simon Hill, who was a Women's World Cup match commentator. And I've got to stop saying Women's World Cup because apparently it's just World Cup now without the W. So you don't say men's and you don't say women's. It's just World Cup. There are different time frames. You can't ever get them mixed up. That's the FIFA mandate apparently. So, so how do you tell them apart? Oh, funny. Well, no, but no, sorry, I meant like if I said, hey, Australia got knocked out by Argentina at the World Cup. At the recent World Cup, you might yeah. say? Yeah. yeah. Or you have to say 2023. Think about which one I'm talking yeah. about. We might disqualify it, like we do with A-League, if we do drop the M and the W. Yeah. We might just Again, say... Again, that, that's... Yeah. I think that's going to lead to confusion, to be honest. I don't know. It's like saying football... And and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you have to say... I'm I'm just as happy saying Men's World Cup as Women's World Cup. It's not sort of like a special case for the women. But, yeah, or same thing. The glory of playing Western United uh, in their first match... Am I talking men's or women's? If I if I just said in the A League, Tom, stop being so silent and help me out here. <laughs> well, well, I use MPLWA men's and MPLWA women's during the season um, because that's to differentiate what's um, going on in the respective yeah. leagues. Now, I take it from your perspective a little more, Penny, that with the World Cups happening in different years, then perhaps it's maybe a little bit more of a an irrelevant thing but um when when seasons are happening concurrently i think there is it is important to differentiate just to avoid uh confusion more than anything yeah thanks for that clarification so where's that coming from fifa yeah they had a they they had a uh what do they call it a 
the, the convention is that we drop the men's and the women's when we're talking about the current World Cup. That happened during the World Cup, like mm. literally in the last couple of weeks. They had a, a, a event or discussion or something about it. We had Hayley Roach on who brought it to our attention. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. And you're right, you know, that level where the time is not of the essence in confusing other competitions, it's fine. The, the irony is on my A-League stats website in the women's section... I'm sure if you hunt around, you still actually will see the term W League in a couple of places. I need to go through and make yeah. sure I clean that up fully. But Get Peter right onto that. He'll do it for you. <laughs> I still do it by mistake, Pete. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank well, you. Penny, I'm glad I'm not the only one. As of 12 minutes ago, I just got an email from FIFA um, in regards to the final volunteer newsletter. And it says, the greatest FIFA Women's World Cup oh, there you go. in history. Okay. That's directly so FIFA, from FIFA. FIFA said women's. So it hasn't changed. So it's look at the end of the day, it, it, they tried it in Hollywood to change it from actor and actress to just actors, and it, they've gone back to actors and actress. You know, you got to you got to distinct the difference. Yeah. All righty, let's throw it all in local competitions, local news. What's happening? Let's go for it, Tom. Jump in there. Where do you want to start, Penny? There's a lot to get through today. There, there is a lot, but that's totally fine. Um, let's. What's top of your list? What's taking your fancy? So it is the final day of the MPL WA men's, well, and um, the weekend in terms of the women's as well. It's the last round of that as well. So um, obviously a lot of things are being uh, drawn to a conclusion. Um, there's a lot more at stake in the men's this weekend. Um, the title race is pretty much done. Um, Perth Red Star will win the men's title they are three points clear of Sterling Macedonia and they've got significant goal difference on Sterling as well I think it's about 21 goal swings required so Red Star are going to win the men's title and the women's um, have won back-to-back MPL women's titles as well so it's a phenomenal achievement really Um, it's been a really successful merger up in the northern suburbs Um, so congratulations to to Simon Hicks and to all of the, the team up there on the men's and women's side for what they've achieved um, it's actually the first time in history, I think, as well, that a men's and a women's team have won the from the same club, have won the top flight in the same season. I think the closest we came was maybe in 2002 when Floriot won the women's and then they finished and the men's team finished second. So this is very much a historic thing that we're witnessing in terms of a top flight men's and a top flight women's team winning the league in the same season. Um, so, so congratulations to them. And, um, yeah, they're going to win the league Um Regardless of what result they get at Kingsway today, um, Sterling are guaranteed to finish second. Um, Olympic Kingsway, um, with a win against Red Star, um, will probably finish third and guarantee themselves a home final. And then the race is on for top four and, and relegation. And yeah, there's so many layers mm. to this penny. When will the season finish after all of the promotion playoffs and cups and everything? End of October, you reckon? Uh, end of September, I would say. So we've got the final round today and then next weekend we've got the cup final weekend. Um, so there'll be four cup finals played <laughs> back-to-back at the State Football Centre, 18s, 20s, women's and men's. And then after that, we've got all the top four games and all of the relegation playoff matches as well, um, which will be happening across a sort of two or three-week span. So State Football Centre is open for business. Mm. Yeah. It will be next weekend, yeah. Um, very much looking forward to getting out there and commentating on those games. Um, in the men's, we've got um, Inglewood United and Florida Athena. So both of those teams are obviously have their attentions focused on avoiding relegation this week. Um, they're going to have to very much um, 
realign their focuses for next week in the cup final. And then on the women's side, we've got Hyundai NTC and Murdoch University, Melville. And um, it's quite fitting, really, that after the Women's World Cup that we've we've just had here in Australia and New Zealand, that two of the best young teams here in WA are going to be going head-to-head in that game and really putting on a showcase of some of the best young players in the state. And, um, yeah, it's something to, to really look forward to. And for any Glory fans out there ahead of the A-League women's season, if you're looking forward to getting out and seeing um, Grace Johnston, Tanika Lala, Georgia Cassidy, um, I'd be very excited if I was a Perth Glory A-League women's fan this season. Um, also, Ruby Cuthbert as well, who joined Brisbane Raw during the week. Um, you can go and see all those players next Saturday, so it should be a cracking weekend. Yes, I was quite... Well, it was good for Ruby, but I'm disappointed that she's leaving Perth without us seeing her play for Perth Glory. She's come through the Mum FC um, journey there and landed in the NTC, and off she is to Brisbane Raw. And called up to the Junior Matilda squad with Iskia Brooking and Jess Skinner last night again. That's right, yep. yep. I think they're in camp right now. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there is lots happening. And the promotion and relegation playoffs, Tom, um, how does that work out? Uh, Where where do we start with that? So to to go with the playoff format first, um, the 12-team league in the men's competition, so the bottom team is automatically relegated. 11th place goes into a promotion playoff with second, third and fourth from Division 1. 11th will play fourth over two legs home and away. Second will play third over two legs home and away. And then whoever emerges from those games over two legs will play in a one-off um, game at the State Football Centre to determine who will take a place in the, in the in the NPL next season. So as things stand at the moment, you're looking at Florida Athena versus, I think, Fremantle City in State League Division 1. Um, and you're looking at Mandurah City and Joondalup United in the other games. So... Um, Obviously, a lot can change today. Um, the relegation picture at the bottom is crazy. We've got a situation where six teams are separated by only three points going into the final round. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I've, I've never seen anything like this. So just to give you a little bit of context, um, Balcata stayed up last season on 13 points, <laughs> second bottom, and the bottom team in the NPL this year is on 24 yeah. And in fact, Balcata have doubled their points tally from last year. And, and if they lose today, they could go down. So I've never seen anything like this in terms of a tight season at the bottom. It's going to be the highest points tally in the history of the top flight, I think, um, for a team whoever goes down today to get relegated. So it's quite a staggering situation that we're really in in terms of the evenness of the league. Tell us why that might be so. What's you know, factored into this season being what it is? Just think, I just think um, it's been quite evenly matched across the league. We've had it so tight for the majority of the season. Obviously, Red Star guaranteed themselves a title last week, but for the whole 22 weeks this year, Penny, we've had the title, the top four race, and the relegation picture all at play. Um, normally, you have a team like Perth Soccer Club in previous years break away and win the title. Bayswater were undefeated. Back in 2017, they break away and win the league. Um, and... I suppose a little bit in the women's side of the competition, we've had Perth Red Star go on to win um, pretty comfortably. And and as a result, we've maybe not had the suspense in the women's competition going into the final day. But yeah, this year we've got Perth Glory on 27 points in seventh place, um, 12th place Coburn on 24 points. And, um, in, and four of those teams are playing each other on the final day. Florida playing Glory and Balcatta are playing Coburn. And, and Balcatta Coburn, 10th versus 12th. That's the game I'm doing today on commentary. So, yeah, can't wait for that. It's going to be a, um, a tense and a, um, oh, yeah. a real tense and win. tight affair. They've both yeah. got to win. Even just looking at the goal differences there, um, Perth Red Star obviously on 28 at the top and Coburn on minus 15 at the bottom. But every other team's on a single-digit goal difference. So it's 
that's how tight it is. You know, second last uh, place team has only conceded five more goals than they've scored. Uh, so it's yeah, close. So just to give a quick overview of the, of what is at stake today. So um, Perth Glory, Sorrento and Inglewood are very much in the category where they can't finish bottom. So they can't be automatically relegated today, but they can finish 11th depending on results elsewhere. Uh, we probably don't have time to go through every single permutation because there are so many layers with um, with four of the six teams playing each other. Um, Balcada, um basically need a draw to, to main to, to ensure that they don't get automatically relegated today, given they're playing Coburn. Um, but if a win will obviously guarantee their safety, um, but if they draw, then they leave the door open for Flory in 11th to overtake them and Flory are playing the glory. So um, there's a lot at play. Coburn are currently bottomed. They're two points adrift. They have to win to avoid relegation today. Um, if they win, they will avoid automatic relegation today because they will leapfrog Balcata in 10th. And um, Florida Athena then will have to see what their result is at Glory. So there's a lot of layers, and I hope I've not confused the listeners out there. Um, but obviously, um, I'll be doing my best to sort of keep everybody across it on streamer today um, during the commentary. Can't wait for it. I'll be looking forward to the Bayswater Perth one. Yes. Mm. And uh, because Perth can jump to third, and if Bayswater lose and the all the other results go differently, they can also be in trouble. Yeah, so, so very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And that's and that's the other wrinkle, I suppose. Um, that final place in the top four cup still is at play. So um, Perth and Bayswater, fourth and sixth country split by three points. Perth have an eight goals better goal difference than Bayswater at the moment. So Bayswater would need to beat Perth by four goals today to have a chance of qualifying for the top four cup. And they would also need Armadale to lose. Armadale are fifth. They could also still make the top four, but they would need Bayswater to win. And then Armadale would need to go and win at Sorrento by, I think, only two goals because they've got, they've scored more goals than both Perth and Bayswater around them. So it is very convoluted, Louis. Um, well, it's fantastic. Oh, you know, it's, it's good to have that tension on the last game of the season all, all i can say is get your apps up get your streamer <laughs> on get get and just and just follow it on and just watch the chaos unfold there's going to be twists and turns there's going to be teams that are safe at 345 that are going to be suddenly in jeopardy at 445 it's going to be incredible <laughs> so what are you going to have five or six screens up at the same time uh I won't because well I'll be on commentary at Balcata and Coburn and I'll yeah. probably have a screen on my phone of Floriot and the Glory given that's the other game that's happening elsewhere. Just keeping an eye on that in terms of the score and then obviously I'll be using one of the apps to to, to see what's happening around the grounds. Um, it's fascinating, but but that's not it, Penny, because we've got Div One, Div Two, and we've got the women's as well. So there's there's a lot to go on today. Absolutely. So let's just finish discussion about the men's football before you shift across. So between State League Division One and State League Division Two. Yep, so in Division 1, um, the, the top of the table game last week was played between Western, Western Knights and Mandra City. Western Knights were going up as champions in the 93rd minute until Joe O'Brien scored a 93rd minute equaliser for Mandra. So it means that the title race and promotion is still on in Division 1. Um, Western Knights are at home to Joondalup United today. Mandra City are at home to Dianella. So the Knights currently have a one-point lead on Mandra City going into the final round of the season if they win against Joondalup United they go up as champions back in the top flight for the first time since 2012 no matter what um Mandra City need the Knights to drop points if the Knights draw or lose then it opens the door for Mandra 
um, to potentially overtake them and go up on the final day. So it's a fascinating um, race. And, and Knights and Manger are two teams who have been super consistent at the top of Division 1 for a long time. And I think they'll be very much welcome additions to the top flight if they do get promoted. Yeah, nearly 10 points clear or from Dunlop and Fremantle. So, yep, pretty seriously consistent across the division there. What about in at the bottom of Division 1 and the top of Division 2? So at the bottom of Division 1, um, Forest Field unfortunately already relegated. They've only won one game this year. So um, tougher times at play for Floriot who uh, – uh, sorry, for Forest Field, who um, I'm sure haven't had – the year they'd hoped. They've obviously got a pretty good junior program up there, so um, it's going to be interesting to see um, to, to see sort of what happens to them, whether they sort of suffer any sort of loss in terms of players leaving um, with the drop to Division 2. Um, I think they do have MPL juniors, though, so, um, that, so they do have um, some good young players still coming through the ranks there to maybe bring into their Division 2 team next season and go forward with. Above them, um, the two teams in contention to be in the relegation playoff place are Subiaco and UWA Netherlands. Subiaco under Mark Wingell, former Perth soccer club coach. Um, they had a 4-1 win at playoff chasing Dianella last week, which was a huge result for them because it actually lifts them out of the bottom two. They're ahead of UWA Netherlands on goal difference now. And it basically means that if, you, if Subiaco win, um, that given the goal difference at play, I think it's about seven or eight at the moment, that Subiaco will stay up um, with a win against Gosnells today. Um, UWA obviously needs Subiaco to drop points. Otherwise, they will be in the relegation playoff position for the second year in a row. Who's sitting at top of State League Division 2? Top two? Kingsley West side won the league. Um, so they're, I think, five, are they? You've got the screen. Seven yep. points um, better off. So th- they've been the champions in waiting, really, for about for the whole second half of the season. Kingsley West side have just done a phenomenal job as a club. And it's another good example. You know this well, Penny, yourself, of a team that has merged, obviously, with Kingsley and Westside, merging together, becoming a strong club, pulling their resources together in terms of their facilities and the finances. We saw that, obviously, with Perth Red Star. We've spoken about them, Murdoch University, Melville, Caramar, Shamrock Rovers, um, Maddington, Calamunda, who are also second in Division 2 at the moment. We've got some really strong clubs sort of coming together at the moment through these mergers. And, and I just wonder whether that may be something to look at going forward for the future of the game in terms of clubs sort of coming together, pulling their resources together, their facilities, and giving um, the, the players more sort of scope to, um, I don't know, be part of a, a bigger club rather than having all these little sort of... like Take Joondalup, for example. You've, you've got Perth Red Star, you've got Joondalup City, Joondalup United, Caramar, Quinns, uh, Alcamos are coming into the fold, Kingsley, Woodvale, Kingsway. That's, that's, all, that's nine clubs that are all sort of in that area, and I've probably missed one. So um, you just wonder whether some mergers in those areas perhaps would mean we'd have stronger clubs um, in certain positions. Mm. Um, I've gone a bit off topic, though, um, because Kingsley Westside have obviously won the league there. Um, Maddington, Curtin and Swan are basically confirmed for the top four. Um, it would take a wild set of results for Karamar to infiltrate that on the final day. And then obviously there's the Morley Wimble situation. Um, Kenning City avoided avoided relegation. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, not just yet because yeah. they or Balga could still be in the relegation playoff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pending on results this afternoon. So. So um, where, where do Morley Windmills sit in all of this? So so Morley Windmills are bottom of the league now. Um, they had a. 
they've had a couple of points deductions. They were actually second in the league. So it's really unfortunate in terms of the on-pitch perspective because they were putting together a really good campaign and um, the points deductions have obviously seen them drop to the bottom of the league. Um, in terms of their future, it's maybe a little bit uncertain and it's maybe something I don't want to get in because I'm not across the whole um, spectrum of it. There are a lot of layers at play in terms of the on-pitch and off-pitch um, machinations that are going on there. Um, but as a result, it looks as though they're going to be relegated unless the team who finishes at the top of the amateur Premier League competition in Sundays either doesn't want to come up or doesn't have the facilities to go up. And then that could suddenly change things. But at the moment, Morley are bottom by quite some distance. So um, Canning and Balgra fighting out for it's the a big fall. It's a big fall from grace, isn't it, from for Morley and you had... Back in the days, uh, Swan, Krakowia, they're all in the top flight, um, had a huge following, um, yeah, and just seemed to be going by the wayside, unfortunately. Yeah. And you'd be thinking with Krakowia as well, I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere back in the day. Now Suburbia's caught up with them. You think they'd start to build a a good following, but it hasn't happened. Yeah, Yeah, and look, obviously there's, there's... there's circumstances at play as to why they are in the position they are in this season. There's a lot of rumours, there's a lot of innuendo that's been sort of going around on social media, which is um, a lot of it is speculation that's yeah. not been confirmed by the club themselves. Um, so we can't really sort of comment on that too much. Um, but yeah, it is a shame because, like I said on the pitch, um, they were second in the league and they were looking very good to be in that promotion playoff position come season's end with a real chance of going up to Division One under Mark Anthony, um, former Gosnells and, and Coburn City coach and Perth Glory player, of course. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, unfortunately, it's um, that they now find themselves in a position where they're likely going to have to rebuild a little bit going forward. Let's talk about women's NPL. Uh even I'm not sure what's happening there. With Curtin is sitting at the, t- at the bottom of the table. Um, is there promotion and relegation? So it's interesting because I was under the assumption that promotion relegation was definitely going to happen this season. Um, however, I did read something on Football WA in an interview with um, the Hammersley coach, Bedham Zeba, which was on the um, Football WA stately women's preview that Hammersley, I don't think, unless something changes, are going to take up the offer to get promoted this season, um, which makes it very interesting in terms of going forward what's going to happen. So we'll see what um, what Football West want to do with that, whether perhaps UWA Netherlands who or Perth AFC who finished second want to come up and are capable of coming up. Um, I suppose we'll let that play out until the end of um, the weekend. Um, but elsewhere around the league, Perth Red Star, obviously champions, they'll get their promo- they'll get their trophy presented to them tomorrow um, when they play Fremantle City up in Joondalup. Um, the top four is already set. It's the same top four as last season um, and potentially in the same order as we saw in season 2022 as well. So that's Red Star, Perth, Fremantle and Hyundai NTC. The only thing that's really left at play is who's going to finish second out of Perth, Frio and... Um, NTC. In fact, NTC can't quite get there, um, but Perth or Frio can still finish second. And if you finish second, it means you get a double chance in the top four cup, given the final system there. So um, we'll see what happens in, in that sense. But but obviously, from a Balcada and a Mum FC perspective, um, they were two teams, fifth and sixth, who were probably in the top four race for um, quite a bit of the season. But um, some bad runs of form. Um, in Mum FC's case, I think just one win in eight. Um, 
at the moment in this back end of the campaign and Balcata. They've they've found their groove a little bit in recent games, but they had a bit of a slump in the middle part of the season and that meant they had a lot of ground to make up. Would you have expected that the underpinning leagues like uh, NPL and then the 21s and then the women's and their 21s would have similar quality teams and be situated in the table? Like I've just looked at the NPLW. Balcata are sitting fifth, Mum FC are sitting sixth, and Mum FC 21s also sitting sixth, but doesn't correspond to any other teams in the 21s. I'm not sure about the men's. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, I suppose from a men's perspective, you're always going to have Perth Glory um, at the top of the 20s and the 18s just because of the raw talent that they've got at play. Um, and, and some of the clubs with strong junior bases like Perth and Bayswater are always going to be up there competing and contending as well, even if their first teams aren't. Um, from a women's perspective, though, Balcata actually won the league at under-21s level this season. Um, I was actually up there um for a commentary of the first team game and the game before it was a top of the table shootout between Balcada and um, Red Star and, and I was playing. I was goalkeeper for Mum FC. Where on the On the twenty ones for um Mum FC last week. I was, I was, oh, last week. I was a fill-in goalkeeper. Sorry, I just wow. had to break that. Right? I'm not 21. Everybody, I, I was going to say, wouldn't you <laughs> take the form there or something? They're a loud and overage player. That okay. was me. We needed a goalkeeper. I stepped How'd in. How'd you find it? I loved it. <laughs> I love all the energy around. There's some great young players out there. You mentioned about the youth in the Mum FC team. Absolutely loving it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that's that's really exciting about the women's competition, I think. Um, it is a very young league. There's a lot of younger players around the competition. And as I said, there's going to be no better showcase of that than at the State Football Centre next Saturday afternoon. Um, I, I'd be very excited to, to, go, to, to go and see that. And I think we forget a little bit as well that the MPLW women's competition is only in its fourth year. Um, and the first year that it came in was the COVID year in 2020. And um, these things do take time in terms of teams and clubs getting things up to speed with their women's program. Perth are obviously a new team. Um, they're sort of building a little bit. Um, you've got the NTC who are always going to be strong at junior level. Uh, Perth Red Star obviously had the carryover from Northern Redbacks. Um, but, but And Frio are always a, a team that have got a very consistent lineup, likes of Laura Waltman, Michaela Lyons, um, Jamie Lee Gale, uh, Tash Rigby as well. She goes and plays for them as well. So they're very much a tight-knit group as well. Um, but it's just going to take a little bit of time, I think, for these teams to build up their women's programs completely. And But I think that I think when you look at the young players that are in the MPLW women's competition at the moment, it is very much a, um, a bright future. And um, we've seen a lot of WA players go on and do good things, both at Junior Matildas level and go over east and play uh, both in the A-Leagues and in the NPL competitions over there and I expect more of the same to continue given the, the talent line we've got coming through here. I hope the Women's World Cup World Cup will make a difference with that. A lot of the juniors uh, pathways are being filled in now with girls so it used to be two years skipping so 12s, 14s, 16s and now it was uh, 10s, 12s, 13s, 14s and I think next year will be 15 so all of the pathways will fill in. There's a women's standing committee at the State Football Centre this coming week too. So a lot of things on the agenda, promotion and relegation, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that will be a big talking point. I mean, obviously, um, it, from, from the, in terms of the women's side of things, I think um, given Hammersley have seemingly made their intentions clear going into next season, that um, that's going to be probably one of the talking points you'll, you'll get to listen to, Penny. Yes, yes, stepping back into that space again, really looking forward to... All these great things happening in women's football. We are going to have to go to a break. 
unless there's something else pressing that we haven't chatted about we're going to put into this local competition segment. No? Okay, good. We'll have a chance to talk more. We've got to have a chat to Tal Karp, who's over east at the moment. This is Penn, Pete, Tom and Lou on the World Football Programme. Talking lots of football through to noon. Stay listening and back soon. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. These players want more. They want to step off that field and win. Just when Australia was crying out for a hero, they found one. Matildas now get to measure themselves against world's footballing elite. Till we outrun them. Keep it going, we're not done till it's done all the way through. Till the pain pays off. Till we make you roar. Till we tell a bigger story. Till we settle the score. Till we stop them all. You can't beat the best. Till we do you proud. We're not like the rest. We're not done. Till it's done. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au Welcome back to the World Football Program. We're on 107.9 FM. It's the World Football Program with a double M-E. I'm old-fashioned. It's never, ever going to (laughs) change. Just stating that. Good afternoon, Tal. No, it's still good morning. What is it? Where are you right now? It is afternoon, but we'll go with morning because everything's about Perth yeah. right now, isn't it? It's about oh, WA. We can have her back on any day. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. This World Cup has been a real good reconnect of a lot of people. Tull, I've caught up with Selena Holtz, uh, Jude Pettit, um, Heather Reid. Just people from all around Australia have gone to where the World Cup has been or have been talking together on platforms. It's been a real reconnect. I love that. It has been. It's been this multi-generational reunion, Penny, and I'm not talking about you when I say that, but, uh, you know, reconnecting with Matildas from across the ages has been one of the absolute highlights for me. You know, hanging out in these stadiums and seeing the people that played before you, the people that played after you, but also the whole football community. And Penny, you know what? You reconnecting and telling me about all the stuff that you were doing to capture the history of women in WA, that was a reconnection that we should shout out to. Thank you. Yes, that is an ongoing thing. History is always being created and there's always lots more to put into books and websites and archives and everything. I'm, I'm loving that. It just means we just keep, keep talking. I'm good with that. So, Tal... A big shout out to you, a long journey for you from West Australia to East, from playing women's football when you were just a wee thing of 10, 11, 12 years old, to playing for Western Australia, playing for the Matildas, playing National League, travelling the world and the CEO of Why Australia. That is such a big journey. 
Thanks, mate, but WA will always be my home. My folks are still there. I still consider my childhood football clubs to be amongst my fondest early memories. So, you know what, I'm not really that far away, am I? No, it's been great to see you up on the public stage through the World Cup campaign advocating for women's football. Um, just uh, you know, five minutes here and five minutes there, all, all part of the engagement of Australia talking football and getting the exposure that we need. So can I call you an ambassador for women's football? Is that, is that <laughs> a role model? Aren't we all? <laughs> Pete, Tom, Louie, you're, you're ambassadors too, aren't we all? Because uh, wasn't it phenomenal and wasn't there lots to say? Yes. yes. <laughs> there we go. We got well, not, we got a conversation in there. But, <laughs> but for me, Tal, I I, I uh, connected with Sandra Bretnell. Uh, I've already got always had a soft spot for her. I, I'm I'm big on respect. Uh, I just don't know why she told me she got the ticket to the final mm. uh, the night before. Oh. So she's here in Perth, and she gets a. a a message through FIFA saying, you know, come over for the final. Really? I mean, where's that wow. respect? Um, what about you, Tal? Did you actually get any invitation or, you know, you're talking about bringing former people together. You know, when I was the chair of Football Hall of Fame, if during this cup I would have had a function to bring all the girls together of yesteryear and the current year, if they were available, to have that reconnection, have that night, reunion, talking about, you know, their day and the current situation. Lou, the Matildas are coming to Perth. It can yeah. still be done. Okay, do it. Do it. But, you <laughs> know, these so sort of things... the function, Louis? Yeah. Your pardon? <laughs> when's the function? I'm well, ready. Uh, you know, yeah, the game's well, coming. Well, this is Let it. Know. You know, th these sort of functions don't happen in five minutes. You need to plan... We used to yep. plan a year in advance, right? That's how it used to work. They were always successful and, and that's that was my passion because the, the smiles on people's faces say, oh, I haven't seen you for 20 years, Absolutely. I haven't seen you. And just seeing that reconnection and then they say, oh, you know, we're going to catch up in a month's time, whatever. We should have done this years ago and blah, blah, blah. So in your perspective, uh, Tal, you know, you were talking about reconnection What's happened over East um, during the tournament on that perspective? Look, I've got to say the reconnection has been part of the absolute magic of this World Cup, whether it's happened organically or through established functions. And, and yes, you know, you shouted out, I hope Sandra got to that game. I mean, it probably was a bit tricky being in Perth, but, you know, very much deserved to get to that game. But it was the reconnection. It was sitting with the likes of Julie Dolan watching... I think it was the France game and hearing her take on all things or a recent Matilda who, you know, had just stepped out and just getting their take on the team dynamics. It was, it was recognising that although we are so amazing right now in terms of our Matilda's lineup, that there has been a whole history to get us there and to think back on some of those amazing stories that got us to this point has been a real highlight uh, for me. It's actually made me remember it's made me think back on all of those times that you kind of conveniently or inconveniently tuck away and I think that's that is such a beautiful part of the World Cup and, and Louis completely agree ready for that function ready to uh, you know talk about the history and the pathway and celebrate all those that have made it uh, to this point 
I, I hate to use the word um, trailblazer, but in a sense, but I think it's I think it's one of the things that the Women's World Cup has really brought to light is it's been a conduit for us to be able to tell some of these stories of the past and for yes. us to acknowledge and recognise and remember where the game started, where it's come through, and and to acknowledge some of the identities who have really sort of been key pillars of putting women's football where it is today. And, I mean, as, as somebody who, who commentates on the local women's game here, um, I, obviously I'm aware that the Sandra Bretnell medal, for example, is given to the player of the Women's State Cup final, which is a really nice initiative and a little sort of nod to the past in, in that respect as well. But for me to be able to learn a little bit more about who Sandra Bretnell is and her story, and there's been some fantastic work from people like Ben Smith in the West who have done some really good at-length pieces in the newspaper and, and on online media as well. There's There's been many others as well, but just a shout out to Ben for his work. But I think it's important, and you referenced the Matildas games coming up in Perth, I think it was Louis or Penn, that um, we continue to tell these stories and we don't just let these stories disappear because the World Cup is over. We sort of continue to tell these stories going into these three games in October, I think they are. And then we continue to do that afterwards and we continue to keep building this legacy um, that began... Not began all those years ago, but obviously, which has sort of been re-lighted um, almost due to this Women's World Cup and, and used as a conduit to continue to proceed. I don't know that it was actually re-lighted. I, I think it, I, you mentioned it when I was you talked earlier, Tal, about me doing the website and doing the history of the soccer. There, there's been a big gap, Tom. There's been a massive gap of talking, telling the stories that you're talking about. So when we re-engage here now and telling stories, I love what you just said then. We, everyone's together so we can tell the stories because we're, we're seeing each other face to face. We're reminding each other about those things. And now going forward, we should keep reminding the rest of the community about it as well so that we don't forget that stuff. Trailblazing is okay. I'm all right with that word, by but the way. Gotta, but you've got to tap into it because once those people go, that's it. That that's right. memory and those stories yep. go with them. So... It is so, so leave a legacy of some kind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's so important to think about that now and start tapping into yeah. it before all that legacy, all those memories go. Yeah. You know, back in the day we talk about problems in the past. The Matildas couldn't even get finance. Mm. You know, <laughs> Sandra had to borrow money to go to tournament. Her parents had to borrow money to go to tournaments just to get her there. You know, it was a disgrace i believe in 99 that the matildas of that day had to put out a calendar of them posing nude just to raise enough money to go to a tournament you know people forget these sort of things you know i I, those memories were coming through my mind when i was watching the current matilda how lucky they are to boost the profile to go through the development that they is uh, for them now, the, which the previous Matildas didn't have. So it's kudos for the previous Matildas in the achievements that they made back 100%. in the day with all that adversity behind them versus the current squad. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell, tell us about your journey when you stepped into the <laughs> Matildas fold. Yeah, and you know what, um, Louis, as you were talking through that, it just sort of brought back lots of memories, which I actually probably didn't think about at the time when I was in the Matildas. So, you know, I was studying discrimination law at that time, but I didn't really think twice when some of the players that I played with 20 years ago, that was when I played in a World Cup, it was in the United States. Do you remember that plague pre-COVID called SARS? 
and was yes. going to be in China, <laughs> got moved to the US at the last minute, off we went. On the way back from that trip, not one, not two, three players lining up in the Centrelink queue after they'd just represented Australia. Nothing to be ashamed of, but it was just part and parcel of being a Matilda back then. You know, I stayed in eight houses across the course of three years because I couldn't afford dead rent. We stayed in crappy hotels, unlike the Socceroos. We travelled at cheap and inconvenient times. It was just how it was to be a Matilda back then, but we didn't question it. We were just so grateful to wear those oversized shirts and play for our country. And I, I think you're right. Like, I think that story is really important. And we have had a gap in telling those stories, Penn. Uh, what I reckon has been really amazing with this World Cup is it's, you know, the Matildas have been there. This product has been there, but there has been this massive seismic mindset shift that now people are actually paying attention yeah. to how spectacular this game is and and these women are. And I think it re-invites us to have a look at how we got there. And for me, and I guess it connects to my story at the Y, for me it's a story of over recent years and very recent years, we've started to put a little investment in. We've started to put a little support in. You know, we've got full-time physios and sports and science and conditioning people now. That's really recent. There's been a little bit of visibility over the last few years and look what that has achieved. So what if we invest properly, we support properly, we invest in visibility of, of those who are otherwise excluded, marginalised, like our women, but think about our populations generally, what could then they have access to? What could they achieve? And so that, to me, is one of the really important legacies of this World Cup. We can't just treat it as a sugar hit of amazing women running around fields across the country for a month, but think about, well, what are the lessons that we draw from so that we don't go back to another gap in time, a gap in history, and we draw from those lessons. I think that you've raised some important points. People are asking those questions, Tull, and there's a variety of answers that people are coming up with, and one of them could be the government's investment play our way, $200 million worth of you know, money into sports funding reforms over the next nth number of years. In whatever way, that will work for women's football. Um, no, women's sport. Not particularly. Women's sport, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. And that's I'm, just, I'm biased, right? <laughs> <I just didn't. laughs> no, because I picked up on that very quickly, Pim, yeah. because it was $200 million to women's football. Wow, that's a real great injection, right? Yep. But unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yes, I get that. So, but the, and then this is where the problem is also, who's the best lobbyist? You know, Tull sounds pretty good. Let's get her to lobby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I vote one for Tull. But honestly, the the thing is, we, you know, I'm aware of the other football codes who want a big piece of the pie as well. Mm -hmm. They they've been hit pretty hard, and they're not going to sit lying down thinking, especially over on the east coast. You know, with Melbourne, with the you know, the AFL women and the NRL women. I'll be factoring in, out their new um, calculations yeah. and formulas. and Exactly. Yep. I mean, but the, the, the thing is, with the Matildas, we got this, a very, and Socceroos, we've got a very unique brand where yep. we participate in a game that 211 nations play in, right? Rugby League's nowhere near it, and the AFL's just an interstate competition because mm. they asked Sam Kerr to come across to the Eagles and she said, no, I want to play for my country. And that's it. That's the point. That the girls, when they want a career, they can go overseas now. You know, 
Tell, I'm sure you would have liked to play in Europe or the US full-time and get a full-time wage compared to back in your day. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, at one stage, we were all starting to look at university scholarships and that was really the first opportunity to, you know, have something covered whilst you were doing something else. And, and I think Title IX in the United States really created a shift for women women's football and women athletes in the United States. We've obviously seen a shift now with the US not doing as well with the rest of the world catching up with the way that others are investing in the game. But, yeah, absolutely. The idea of playing with some of those big clubs, that is phenomenal. I'm so excited for the current crop. How far do you think we've got to go, Tull? And do you think that in four years' time, Australia will be in that final? I want to ask you that question, Penny Tanner. You've been here longer than I. Are we going to be in that final? <laughs> well, we were arguing, no, we were discussing this before we went on air. And I think it's been a very exciting ride journey. And I think we've still got places to go. In four years' time, some of the players that we're seeing now will age out. Yep. They won't be around. May or may not be a Sam Kerr playing when she's 30-something. 30 30, 33 or so. Yeah. I, I would say my prediction was that Without meaning to sound negative, this World Cup was the golden our, our opportunity. Peak. Yeah, our peak. Um, we're not sort of going to tumble down the rankings, but, you know, I, I could see it maybe at the next World Cup we should get out the group phase, but I don't think we'd make the semis again. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I think we've sort of maybe peaked now. I think the opposite argument to that, though, as well, is we, we look at England, who was obviously opposition in the semi-final, and a lot of those players are playing in the, the WSL, and some are playing in, in Barcelona, which is obviously fully, a, professional. fully professional and elite levels. And now what you're seeing as a result of the World Cup is a players like um, Charlotte Grant, Kyra Cooney-Cross, um, Claire Hunt as well, who are all being linked to WSL teams off their performances in the Women's World Cup. And I think... As another four years passes, I think that's only going to be even better. We've seen like Remy Seamson go over from Sydney FC. So th there are players who are going to be going across into that full-time professional environment in the UK and uh, at what is admittedly a better standard at the moment Had in women's Rasso football. Into Real Madrid. Mm. Correct, yeah. And I think, I think that's the bright um, prospect going forward is that those players are going across to those sorts of leagues. But it's interesting because I think a lot of people are going to think that the le that the legacy of the World Cup and the story of the World Cup was the likes of the USA going out early in the tournament, Germany not getting out of the group stage and so on and so forth. Brazil. But Brazil as yeah. well. Poland. But, but for, me, the, <laughs> for me, the story of the tournament are the, are the emerging nations, the likes of Nigeria, the likes of Sa the Korean Republic, the likes Morocco. of Panama, Morocco, Philippines. Colombia, who entertained us all. Unbelievable. Um, team, teams who have really Fantastic. sort of risen through, and I think that's only going to be a better thing for women's football going forward in terms of the depth of it, and yes. I can't wait to see what that's going to look like in four years' time. Yeah, so tell my answer is that in four years' time, I can see the journey that we've taken to get decades to this point is going to take four years to get to a higher point because of all those things that Tommy said, that players have now have more visible visibility and more opportunities. They will play at higher levels between now and the next World Cup. So there'll be more players playing at higher levels. We can only do better. You are wrong, Peter Skeller. I certainly, <laughs> I certainly hope I'm wrong. Well, the as thing is... Sorry, as Tim. long as the news line... So you talked about the Lionesses before. It broke my heart when I saw media articles that said waltzing past the Matildas, mm. the sledging 
from that team. It's just not okay. So we need to at least get one past them in four years' time. I will be happy with that. Yes. It doesn't matter what sport in Australia that you play against the Poms, if you lose, it really hurts. <laughs> it really hurts. <laughs> but the, the, the future for me, you know, I think, I mean, it's easy to be an armchair coach, but tactically I don't think it worked uh, as it should have. You know, we had a, a very in-depth squad and they all weren't used. You know, in my view is, you know, Lydia Williams was never used. Kaya Simon, we we had um, the up and comings, you know, with Grant. Why weren't they being used during the tournament? You know, that last game against England, you could see they were tired. Yeah. You know, we hadn't. If you're good enough to be picked in that twenty-two person squad, why the hell weren't you used? You know, that means you're there because you're just as good as the other number two or the other number five or the other number ten. This I mean, was the same strategy that a lot of the other teams used, though, Lou. So I Except think, for Spain. Spain used all their players. Oh, and it was amazing when they rotated players on. It was like they hardly changed the plan. It was incredible. Yes. Great quality. But yeah. there was a handful of nations uh, that pretty much used similar first 11s and they went quite far in the World Cup. So that strategy kind of worked... And maybe it's a peak for us at this time with this squad that we could get to this point, regardless of the players that we use. I, I don't, I can't answer that. Yeah, but for me, you know, the the ignorant, uh, the the onboarders that came on and say, no, you know, we can't win without Sam Kerr. I'm glad we we won without mm. Sam. We Kerr. did well as a squad. You know, you can't you can't build your squad on one person. You know, we know as footballers or ex footballers that you know you, you don't win with one person. It's yeah. impossible. So the thing is, it was great to see that we had the evolution of yes. the, the, and we continue need to have that. So if we're going to have success in the future, we've got to continue that evolution. We've got to have the uh, good development. And one thing that people haven't talked about, they talked about, you know, Arnold, how, how she saved and did so well. Well, who's the, the Matilda's coach? Goalkeeper coach. Tony Franken. Tony Franken, yeah. Right? Yeah. And he was the Socceroos goalkeeper coach. You know, all these people in the background, it was interesting. My first ever glory game, he was the glory keeper. Well, there you go. And then yeah. if you if you look at the team photo with the officials that were there, there was 26 of them and 22 players. <laughs> I actually counted and I thought, what the hell? But you didn't have that many staff around you when you were playing for the Matildas Tull? Can you imagine that? I mean, that just blows my mind. I love that you've said that. I, I just think it's stuff like that that shows how far we've come. I mean, also the flares in Federation Square, the riotous scenes, half yes. of the country watching, and illegal choppers. I feel like you've made it when you've got illegal choppers flying <laughs> on teams. But, um, Victorians yeah, don't count, by the way, Tal. <laughs> <laughs> Or just the number of slow-mos we got of Sam Kerr's car. <laughs> like, surely, the level of obsession is just phenomenal. It's a lot of fun, really. But, yeah, the number of support staff, the investment that is needed to create a professional outfit. Uh, yeah, absolutely not, Penny. How about in your era? Did, were there, you were the coach and the physio and the massage therapist and the player, weren't you? Oh, far out. Um, I still am. <laughs> <laughs> Can't let it go, Penny. 
<laughs> it's all good fun. And I'd, and I'd do it and, and max my credit cards out all over again because that's probably what I know, right? I mean, how lucky for the young ones now to come through in a different generation to have those things put to them, offered to them, in, be invited into. But like the Sandra Brentnells, this is what we knew. This is what we wanted to do. We had the passion and nothing would have stopped us getting the opportunity. Tell, I don't know if you knew, but uh, Sam, uh, sorry, Sandra Brentnell became the first um, inductee in the Legion status worldwide, not Australia-wide, but worldwide. So Into the Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, so we... We take a lot of pride in in giving her that um, honour because yep. she she, you know, she earned it. Does, oh, big time! Yeah, yeah, she's she's great. She's uh, actually her and um, Jude Paddock Jay have been yep. uh, featured in uh, some of the exhibitions. We had a Game Changers exhibition at the State Library, which I think finishes Monday morning. If anyone hasn't had a chance to have a look at that yet, it is uh, open till Monday morning this weekend. Get out there. Uh, so Sandra Brenton was featured in that. Uh, Marilyn Learmont, referee. Yeah, ex-referee. Um, Jude Pettit, um, Michaela Lyons from Freeman was in that. Anno Dong was featured yes. in that. Uh, so that's been open public in front of the WA State Library. Then the State Museum is going to do uh, a display at some point, uh, but I think between now and when those qualifiers are in October, November. So there's a few things happening in the WA space. Tull, it's been- I love that. I've noticed the shout-out of the State Library. When I was young, Penny Tanner, and I had to combine football and being a bit of a nerd, I would go to the State Library. If there was a football exhibition, I wouldn't have got anything done. How amazing. I love that. I yes. really love that highlighting of those people. There wasn't there wasn't much there. I, I have a big women's football collection, and I went and um, offered some things to them to help them, and they're like, we don't have anything. I'm like, really? Okay, we'll work on that. And I just think it, it's just having that opportunity to learn more about the game. So so many people love football. So many people are passionate about football. But it's just having the people and the will and the opportunity to keep telling these stories yes. and to give people the opportunity to learn the backgrounds and all of this. And um, obviously, from a, from a present perspective, we saw the, the amazing role models that were out on the pitch at the FIFA Women's World Cup. But in terms of that history as well, for, for, for people who are involved in the game at a local level, and, and even deeper than that, um, the opportunity to sort of have that in the background and that opportunity to learn more about the history of the game is something that's fantastic and hopefully just gets continues to carry over. And I think it will now. It'll ignite people. Um, I've just been binging, which I haven't had time for a long time, but I've just started binging on Netflix of all the documentaries on football, and it's out there. And I think there's going to be more now with the Matildas. They want to find out, you know... The, the role models back in the day. Um, and it's up to us who yeah. currently around, as I said, tapping into that history in the brains yeah. of people who have been there before to bring that to the fore. Yes, we'll keep talking about it. Tal, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Really do appreciate it. Loving seeing your journey and the fact that you are currently now a spokesperson for women's football. Keep up the great work. <laughs> Thank you very much. Are you Great coming show. over for the qualifiers, by the way, Tal? If you put that event on, I am there. <laughs> so make sure there's lots of notice. Yeah. <laughs> there's some space in the studio here for you, Tal, all right? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Penny, you haven't changed. Have a great day, all. <laughs> Say hi to your family for me, Tal. Will do. Catch you later. Thank you. Bye. Tal Cup, CEO of Y Australia, which, for those unknowing, is YMCA. Yeah.
Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, she made a few little plays on the words there in the conversations. I didn't think you guys were quite connected to that, but I was having a chuckle inside my head. But uh, what a great spokesperson. I remember when she was 10 or 11 and we had a development program down on the foreshore of Perth just before we even had a high-performance centre, which became the NTC eventually. Um, and uh, Mark Pottier, I think, from Perth Soccer Club and Tracy Wheeler were also down there helping us out and we had like about 25 kids. One of them was Tull girls and um, she was just a little thing back then and there was no women's, uh, there's no girls football so she was playing at Perth Soccer Club in the mixed boys I think at that stage and then she came and played with me at Inglewood Kiev Women's and she was 12 and she was a little thing. We all used to just have to watch out for her but that was the level of football and then she kept playing and look where she is now. It's going to be really interesting in terms of how it evolves, Penny, because uh, having spoken to a lot of the players in the MPLW women's competition, a lot of them play boys football um, and uh, sort of until the age of 15. Um, but but now you're seeing more women's teams at that junior level and that sort of gap closing. So like, I think you mentioned it before, they used to be every two years in terms of the grading. Now they're becoming sort of every year. Yep. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see that women's pathway unfold and develop in the coming years. And um, what, there may still be a few players um, who are excellent, who may need that challenge of playing in, in boys' football up to a certain age. But, um, yeah, obviously... Um, in terms of the interest in the game and the female participation that's likely to come into it next year off the back of this Women's World Cup. Yep. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting to see the landscape of the junior side of the girls' game going forward. One player that springs to mind is uh, Clara Harau, who plays in our NPL. Uh, she's 16. Star. Yep, and she plays NPL boys as well and then plays NPL women's. Uh, yeah, she seems to keep her body in good condition a lot of football being played, but uh, parents and her manage it quite well. And there'll be players that will kind of cross into those spaces to determine what's best for the pathway. And yeah, we'll see what happens there. Now, um, we're going to have a chat to Miranda Templeman. How long are you staying for, Tom? I'm out. Okay. I'm going to get out, get out, get <laughs> okay. out here. All right, cool. All right, you're welcome to stay if you want. Uh, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate the banter. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, everyone. I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot uh, lot to get my head around before 3 o'clock comes around. Yeah, good lad. All right, uh, yep, uh, load up your streamers and uh, go out and watch football, footballwest.com.au or Squatty or whatever apps are out there to find out best football. Or, or don't even listen to me. Go to a game and, yeah. and take it all in and enjoy it yourselves. Yeah, yep. just go down to a park. There'll be football. I couldn't believe the scenarios you were going through your head when you were going <laughs> for, from division to division. I thought, this guy He's is got a it all walking encyclopedia. So we're well gonna, done. We're going to go to a break. This is uh, Penn, Pete, Tom and Lou, and we'll be back shortly talking football. Radio, Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 9258-6822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Football is more than just a ball. It's where we find our feet, where we find our voice and a place to belong, where we get to express our true selves. 
following the footsteps of our heroes, we can go from small to 10 feet tall. We can all write out their stories. Because this game, the world's biggest game, has space for us all. Find your place. Join our team. You said you wanted Sam Kerr and the Matildas to come to Perth, Western Australia, and the McGowan government has delivered. For the Matildas to come to Perth, uh, particularly for the first competitive game in its history, it's just an exciting opportunity for the local young female players to look up and aspire to what they might want to be. Australia will play against some of the top teams in Asia. We're playing Chinese Taipei play against Iran and we'll also play against the Philippines. This is an important competition for the Matildas. It's a, a qualifying campaign. We need to win these matches in order to play in Paris in 2024. I'm looking forward to see the Matildas play in their backyard, especially Sam coming back home, playing in front of her family and friends. We've made this happen, actually. We're part of the legacy, part of Sam Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> this will produce a festival of football. It's very exciting because we'll have overall six games of spectacular international women's football played across a week-long tournament between the 26th of October and the 1st of November. Okay, switching over to some A-League men's news as well. Um, now, there's actually quite a bit happening on the A-League men's front, uh, but one of the things that caught my eye was that Hindmarsh Stadium has banned Melbourne Victory fans from attending a uh, game against Adelaide United uh, based on the What's events yeah. at the Women's World Cup, which very rapidly then got overturned. I think there was some sort of, you can't just arbitrarily, according to the Constitution, you can't just arbitrarily choose to ban... Uh, people from a certain postcode or, or without a certain postcode. But the bit that really caught my eye was Transport Minister Tom Koutsantinonis. It's a Greek name. I apologise to any Greek listeners because I butchered that. But uh, this is the, um, I assume, the South Australian Transport Minister. And he actually basically said, and I quote, in every code, whether it's Australian rules, football, rugby league or real football, uh, you're going to get some people who behave badly. And I just like this comment about the real football. That that caught my eye and I was very happy with that one. Ditto on that one. It'd yeah. be the other real football. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, in the other A-League men's news, so the fixtures have been announced. Oh, sorry, before then, uh, FFA Cup is also resuming this weekend as well. So uh, first game is of the quarterfinals is today. Sydney United, 58. Boo, as a glory fan from back in the day, against Bad Brisbane Raw. Bad form. Bad form. Bad form? Booing. Well, they were throwing flares at glory supporters back in the early 2000s, so they can go boo themselves. But <laughs> they, they actually have played Brisbane Raw before and actually did beat them in a cup set. So I'm sure they're feeling cocky about that one as well. So last year they knocked Brisbane Raw out in extra time. And now they've got the chance to do it again. Dave Connor says hello too. He's listening in as usual. Hi, Dave. Uh, did you mention the double header? No, I didn't yet. But there's a double header. Yep. It's on one of my tabs. But the glo- <laughs> the glory men and the glory. I've got too many tabs open. Oh, look at that! I'm right. Sunday, October twenty second. We got a double header. Uh, the women's are kicking. The women are kicking off at two p.m. and then the men kicking off at four forty-five p.m. HBF. So at HBF Park. Yes, so. not called the Perth Rectangular Stadium. Not to be 
abbreviated to PRS and confused with Perth Red Star. Oh, my God. I'm so glad it's back to HBF Park. Why isn't it yeah, HBF Perth Park. Oval? Just Perth Oval. Come on. Yeah. I assume if you've got a membership for either the um, Glory Men's or the Glory Women's, you would get into that he- that double header. That's a question I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Yes, I'll have to ask Glory that because we'll get some free tickets for all of the A-League W Glory games. I'm sure they'll let us know about that. Did you talk about the no. Perth Glory takeover? No. At all? No, not Man. yet. So uh, Miranda's on the line. So all right, you can let's ju- talk to Miranda. But you can jump in any time, Miranda. We're just uh, updating Perth Glory News, okay? <laughs> okay, love it. <laughs> hey, Miranda. <laughs> hey, everyone. So Perth Glory. Oh, Perth Glory. Okay, so uh, an Italian property developer and owner of sporting teams, including uh, currently a football club in the Italian Serie C, has emerged as a serious bidder for Perth Glory. Uh, Ross Pellegria. I think I got that right. Uh, family company Pellegria Group has significant commercial and industrial property developments in Victoria, Queensland, South Australia, and has submitted an offer to the um, company currently in charge of handling the glory. Uh, he's talking about being joined on a board of management with former Socceroos Stan Lazaridis and Vince Grella as well. So uh, he also owns, or the company also owns, is very Adelaide-based, uh, Adelaide Giants baseball team, Adelaide Lightning women's basketball team, and ice hockey teams in Adelaide and Canberra. Wow, that's so, some portfolio. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and So what what's the mindset of this guy? Is it just to invest in the club or is he actually um, passionate about the club or is it just a, a financial venture for him because... I don't know. Well, we know that there's not a whole lot of profit in this no, venture. There's, so. Yeah, there's no. next to no profit. It's in, always in, lost. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, we've got to be realistic about it. But, you know, we, we had the, the original passionate owner, Nick Tana, and yeah. whether you like... The, the previous owner or not, that's up to you. But Oh, was, there's no denying he bled purple as well. Yeah, he, he, he was, he was yep. passionate about the club. So, you know, is this new guy got the same passion or is it, like I say, it's just a financial venture for him? Well, I'm going to assume with an Italian surname there is some passion for, for football there. Oh, it, there it is, is for an football. assumption, but yeah. But you're, you're right, as in it's for everything else seems to be quite South Australian based. Yeah. Um, but I guess as a Glory fan, look, if, if things turn around on the field, we wouldn't care where the owners well, are from. Well, that's true you know, too. That's yeah. mm. So okay. how are you going in Melbourne, Miranda? You enjoying it? Yeah. Yeah, good. I'm loving it at the moment. I'm actually in overrest um, this week visiting my family. So oh. um, I'm enjoying the sunshine over here. It's something we don't We've got get a vacant seat. Yeah, why aren't you in the yeah. studio? <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit rough. Yeah, I had, I had to, I had to keep it under wraps. Um, yeah, surprising people. So um, it's been a good week. Um, getting ready. I'm going into. We've got MPL finals um, in Melbourne in the next couple of weeks, and then getting stuck into preseason in a week or so. Yes. So, how's your squad shaping up? Are you allowed to mention players in your squad? Yeah, well, there's been a few announced already. Like, we've obviously had some really good signings. You have Rachel Lowe coming in, um, Jamila Rankin, um, so that's, and Emma Checker. So really tightening up the the back line in there, which will be really good. It's a good mix of experience. And then we've also managed to retain um, our, basically our entire back line with Jess Nash, Kayla Morrison and um, Claudia Bunch. So... Looking really solid in that sense. And um, Aquino is the one that's been um, 
announced recently as a NPL st- Japanese striker playing for Burundara. Um, I think she's scored 30 goals this season. So um, a good pickup, yeah. Has there been many West Australian players in your local NPL league? There's been a few, yeah. Um, unfortunately, there was a couple injuries that led to um, a few players being out. Bella Woolhead um, was at Heidelberg earlier on, but unfortunately um, sustained the dreaded ACL injury. Um, and we've got Sean McKenna. Letitia McKenna um, is my fellow South Melbourneite um, this season. Um, trying to think. Zara Board was at South Melbourne as well before heading off to the US. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. There's a few kind of scattered around um, between Melbourne and Sydney, but it's good to see some WA talent coming over. Can you give us a little bit of a like a benchmark here? Um, NPL here in West Australia is pretty decent level. We've got some of the Perth Glory players sitting in the local leagues. Um, Decent quality games, uh, absolutely. When you come up to finals time, you get the best of the best. Uh, you know, mm. how, how is it over there in Melbourne? Yeah, it's good. I, I really enjoy the Melbourne MPL. Um, I've actually had the experience of playing in the Perth MPL, the Sydney MPL and the Melbourne MPL. Mm. So um, quite a range there. I think Sydney was well above and beyond um, a few years back, but I think people were kind of slowly catching up um, especially Melbourne and Brisbane as well. I know put um, a lot of investment into the MPL side. Um, and Melbourne's undergoing expansion as well this year. We added two year, new teams, um, one of which is Burundara, who uh, just missed out on the Premier's plate. So to come up from um, the league below um, and then go up to competing for the Premier's plate is quite promising. Um and then I know we're introducing promotion relegation in the next couple of years. So um, that will be, yeah, quite an interesting feat for the NPL. Yeah, we've been talking about promotion and relegation here. It's obviously mm. uh, you know, well underway with the, the, the guys' football and we've been talking about all the permutations here. But uh, with the women's NPL in Perth, I don't know. I mean, it's four years and um, yeah. we've got a curtain... I'm not quite sure how many points they've got at the bottom of the table. None. None, okay. Yeah, um, yeah right. And they have no reserve team, no 21s team. They are folded to ensure that their first team could continue in the women's NPL here. Um, so they would be a likely team to be moving down, but we don't know who might be moving up. So. Well, uh, uh, yeah. like, like Tommy said, uh, Hammersley seemed to say that they didn't want to go up. So Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, after four years, I don't know what that means. Uh, and you, you're saying that in Melbourne, they're not sure if there's going to be promotion and relegation as well. So what does, what does that mean about the underpinning competitions there, Miranda? Yeah, look, I've um, had a few appearances with some of our state league sides in Melbourne. Um, Essendon Royals uh, are being promoted this year. I think um, Southern United are being relegated. So I think they're only starting with one this year um, and then going into two teams next year um but yeah I've, done, I've had some experience working with some of the SNM royal staff and players and they've got a really really ambitious setup so i think it's good for maybe some of the clubs in the state league if they do have that ambition to have the opportunity to come up into that level and yeah it's it's really competitive i think um 
it's a great incentive for players at the bottom of the ladder to still work until, you know, the final game of the season. And um, for these players to get the experience to come up is, is well-deserved. And, yeah, as I was saying, Burundara showed that um, this year they didn't have a lot of a star signings, not a lot of A-League players, but... Um, yeah, with Aquino leading the line, um, I think it's a good pick-up for us because she, yeah, as I say, 30 goals in an NPL season is, is some feat. So, um, yeah, it's definitely given a good platform. So the A-League is expanded this year. Yes. 22 yeah. rounds. And Central Coast back in. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's the double header for us in the second week of the competition. 14th of October is round one. Um, it's a lot of fixtures. It's it's good it's, and it's yeah, what we want. yeah, absolutely. It's it's what we want. Um, so the first fixtures kick off on Saturday, fourteenth of October, and then Sunday. I don't know what times they are, so I'm kind of hoping that they're going to be in uh, decent times for us to watch everything. Um, I I suspect yeah. here uh, already. I'm hearing here in Perth, post Women's World Cup, that the summer competitions are maxing out. Like they're just people have just phoned up to see where their local football clubs are and the the futsal and fiver sides are, so that they can just join football. Um, so what a terrible problem to have! I, know, I, know, <laughs> I, I just wonder next year how it's all going to pan out with yeah the availability of resources. Yeah, and facilities, the infrastructure. You know, we we talk about all you know this two hundred million dollars that the government's put forward to upgrade all these facilities to help uh, women uh, and girls. So, yeah, but what are you going to do? Build, build more ovals, build, you know, it's, I think they're just going to be a exponential. Alternatives, Lou. I think we need alternatives. It, yeah. Is that a modified football, like seven side, eight side, nine side? What about playing in the evening? You know, uh, I, I don't know about your local. Well I, well, I don't know about your local. I drove around my local just, you know, going back and forth to shopping centres and whatever, and during the week all you see is empty parks, mm. you know. So why does it always have to be a Saturday or Sunday? Why can't it be a, a you know, Tuesday afternoon or Thursday afternoon? Well, well, the evening. Well, well, the NPL's kind of expanded that thought this year, hasn't yeah. it, really? I mean, there's been, even the women's NPL has been Friday, Friday night games. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is fantastic. It's um, drawing crowds, like... Starting yeah. to get people down to watch the games and also the better facilities for NPL, um, and the men's football is always on a weekend. But then there's cup games which are midweek on an evening. Um, yeah, we're going to need to look after our grass, make more grass space. <laughs> <laughs> so, something else on the women's front that's quite exciting to me on um, at the top higher level is as of next year the AFC Women's Champions League kicks off. So the A League winners, just oh, like with the men's, great. will get yeah. to compete in a yeah. in a proper Champions League against uh, you know top teams from throughout Asia. Um, they, they kind of have an unofficial one now; it's an invitational one, which I believe mm. Sydney FC will be in. But as of twenty twenty four slash twenty five, it'll be a proper you know you win the league and you qualify for the tournament, just just like the men's Champions League, or even just like the European Champions League. 
Uh, so that's is, that's is quite that a exciting. Pathway through to some higher qualification, or just a separate competition on its own? Well, it's a separate competition on its. I don't know exactly how it'll fit in because obviously you might have the, with the women's, you know, like as as with Miranda, she plays for Melbourne Victory, and then in the off season for the Victory, she'll um she goes to um, South Melbourne. South Melbourne yeah. uh, so what would happen if Melbourne Victory had to play Asian Champions League matches during that time? Um, yeah, I think it, it's definitely something that needs to be raised. But I think the exciting thing is the contracts are expanding every year in terms yep. of their length um, with the increased um, number of teams in the competition, increased number of rounds, going to full home and away. Yes. Um, I believe the next step is to um, increase the length of preseason because I think at the moment we have a yep. four or five week preseason compared to I think the men have, um, yeah, a two or three month preseason. Um, so I think that's the next step and then hopefully that's leading to um, yeah, 12 months of the year contracts I know um, that's definitely been a goal um, for for victory um, is to have their players contracted all year round um, yeah. and then of course that's that's um, really encouraging for young athletes such as myself, you know, a lot of players having to work two jobs um, mm. or play in the off season in NPL um, to keep game time. But with the expansion this year um, to 22 rounds, we're in line with all of the other major leagues in terms of yearly match minutes. In, in Yeah, so compared to the WSL, the NWSL, um, we're um, up in that, in that standard. So um, the PFA have done some really good work with negotiating with the APL this year and they continue to, to push for us. And yeah, we're really, really happy with the work they're doing. So Miranda, what's your... Your perspective um, with the success of the, the the tournament, are scouts now you feel be going around local games looking for talent locally to take them overseas? As you know, most of the Matildas now that's where they craft their trade now. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the Matildas got everyone to to stop and watch worldwide. So. Um, they've done an amazing job pioneering um, for Australian football and no doubt it will draw attention to our local leagues, especially with, um, yeah, some of the Matildas already agreeing to um, stay on. You've got Courtney Vine staying on, Tamika Yallop coming back um, to Brisbane Raw. So um, there's def- And obviously um, Elise Kelman Knight staying with us at Victory. So... Um, there's great players here, great experience, but also, as you say, um, future talent where everyone, every one of the Matildas came through the Liberty A-League. So, um, yeah, no doubt people will be stopping to watch our games and, um, yeah, it's just a great opportunity for us. Well, I saw um, Kaya Simon on morning no, uh, television okay. this morning. Yeah. She was talking about holding a, um academy yeah. uh, for for young girls from the age of 8 to 18. Um so she's just staying behind to run that academy and then she goes off to her club. So I saw a similar thing with Sam Kerr as well. Yeah, she, Sam Kerr. Yeah. So, you know, it's great to see that they're, they're giving back. So for a person like you, um, up and coming, Miranda, I mean, the, the future seems a lot more brighter than it was before, do you think? Yeah, 100%. And I don't think... I knew we would get a lot of support going into the World Cup, but I... It blew my expectations away, honestly, and I think 
that's down to everyone in the Matilda staff, everyone at Football Australia and and FIFA. They really, yeah, um, promoted it well. And of course, the Matildas going as far as they did um, really got everyone's attention. And it's been great. Like I was catching up with mates that I hadn't seen in two years and they knew every one of the the Matilda's names and they knew, you know, what they were doing and following them on Instagram and all that sort of thing. When, yeah, if I talked to them about it two years ago, they would have no idea what I was talking about. So You've, um, you've made everyone in the studio just feel really old now because we were talking about <laughs> catching up with people from 20 years ago and you just said, oh, people haven't seen for two years. It's been a long time, two I, years. I, literally, I saw all the shoulders just sag as you said that. <laughs> That's so funny. Miranda, I was thinking when you were talking about longer contracts, how mm. when we started the National League, well, the W League, where we had a lot of American players would come and English players would come into our summer league because it was so short and yeah. it would be their season and then our season and that's mm. how they'd fill in the year and they'd earn their twenty or 25000 in ours or twenty or 25000 in theirs and that would be their year and then yeah. ours is extended and extended and theirs is extended and extended. So now you're right that we're becoming more professional and able to play our trade where we want to play our trade and not in mm. two or three different places and still have a part-time job. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, it's been really encouraging um, the work that the PFA have put in. I can't talk about it enough. They they really fight for us um, to keep pushing, keep pushing. Um, and, yeah, it's a great platform and I think you can already see the effects of it. I mean, Victory and Sydney FC have both broken their membership records for the A-League women's already. Mm. Um, and we're already, what, two months out from the season. So... Um, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm, yeah, really keen to see what this season looks like. What about yourself personally and your Matilda's journey? Where are you at with that young lady? Yeah, well, there's obviously um, an introduction of a 23 squad is something that's looking promising. Um, me being um, out of that under 20 age group now, um, and yeah, they've kind of recognised. I think Gustafsson recognised. Um, the gap between the under-20 squad and the first team. Um, so that's something that they're looking to address and hopefully that's something that I could be involved in. Um, and then, yeah, Future Matildas programs running out of Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane at the moment um, that have been going all off-season with Leah Blaney overseeing all of those programs um, has been really good, good quality training um, and allowed them to kind of keep an eye on us all year round. Um, and then, yeah, A-League up next. So just hopefully get some minutes in that and, yeah, show what I can do. So is that 23 squad that you mentioned, is that going to be similar to the Oli Roos? Is that the intention that the 23s will be playing in the Olympic tournament? Um, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. I think maybe eventually um, that would be the goal, but I think it is. It's a new concept, so they'd have to kind of, yeah, work around um, what that would be. I know the um, till it's done. I don't know if you've seen that advertising. I think the Olympics was. Um, I likely think the the first team will be playing at least for this Olympics, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not sure going forward. So, what are they going to call them the Ollie Tilders or, or Ollie Tilly? Yeah. 
my mum and I were talking about this this morning. They're going to oh, have to okay. come up with a new name. <laughs> I don't think they have a, a cool name yet, so maybe they'll take suggestions. Yes, we're all thinking now. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so um, the Matildas are playing here in October and, and November. Are you coming over to watch those games? Or be part of it. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I wish... I wish I could come over. I know my whole family has already got tickets and I'm, I'm very jealous. But, um, no, I think I was very happy I got to watch the Australia-Canada game in Melbourne. So um, that was a great experience. Um, but, yeah, I think no doubt they'll get a good crowd out over here in the West. I'm still a little bit concerned that I looked at the WSL fixtures for England and they have club mm. fixtures happening during those dates in October and November. Mm. When I don't see those fixtures, when it says international break for Chelsea and Everton and so forth, then I feel a little bit more comfortable. We'll get all the Matildas here. Well, see, that, that's mm-hmm. always been a concern of mine because I remember in 99 when Australia was playing Manchester United in Melbourne and I went to that game at the MCG and they were providing at the time Kiel, Viduka, um all the big-name players for Australia mm-hmm. and same for Manchester. And when it came to game day, none of those players were there. Yeah. And that, yeah. for a fan, that's very deceiving. Yes. And, and, and now I don't buy a ticket to the last minute because I want to know who's in those squads because I don't want to be feel ripped off. I think that's why these days when they have the uh, like the friendly matches like Glory versus West Ham or whatnot, I'm pretty sure part of the contract state that you know X players must play at least X minutes sort of thing. I think mm. that's something they do, but then they even if they don't, they get a financial penalty. But it's too bad for the fan yeah. Yeah. who wanted mm. to watch like Harry Kane, for example. He did come, but let's say that last minute he got an injury mm. and didn't couldn't play yep. then. The people who only wanted to see that particular player felt ripped off because that's why they bought their ticket. Well, they should have been buying their tickets to watch Perth Glory play, shouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. How dare I? <laughs> Miranda, it's been great having a chat to you. Um, glad you've enjoyed your season and stayed injury-free. Are you injury-free right at this moment? I am. I am. Nice. Touch wood, but, yeah, yeah, ready to get stuck in. Enjoy Good. the sunshine in Perth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah, plenty of football. Thanks, Miranda. Have a great time. See well ya. Done, guys. See Bye. Ya. Miranda Templeman. Can I say young Matilda? I'm not quite sure what her title is. Melbourne mm. Victory goalkeeper. It's interesting there's still a difference between the men's and women's football in that um, at the Olympics, women's football's taken quite seriously shall we say um it's still there's no age restrictions whereas with the men's football it's you know an under 23 tournament with a couple of overage players and i think while the tournament's on sure you know go let's get a gold medal but no one really cares about the olympic men's football afterwards um you know it's all about the world cup Mm -hmm. and the euros or the asian cup or whatnot but yeah. yeah, but it's all part of development, isn't yeah. it? I yeah, mean, so it's, that's what I mean. Agreed. It's sort of, yeah. it's probably one of the few sports, men's football, um, where the Olympic Games is, it's almost a development tournament. It's not the be-all and end-all. You know, the World Cup is the be-all and end-all. Well, then you've got the uh, the Joeys, the under-17s, mm-hmm. who yeah. have their own World yeah, Cup and, tournament. And then, yeah, so it's, it's the Olympics to them is, uh, the Olympics for the men is almost the last stage of junior development before... Now you're in. Now you're playing with the big, the big boys, boys at the World yeah. Cup. Yeah. Uh, also, just before we go to an ad, yes. Um, uh, uh, Perth Glory. Speaking of women, now uh, they've 
re-signed Alex Ipakis for a two two year deal. Gotcha. Uh, so he's he's back with the glory, and by the end of that, he will be the longest serving. Uh, women's coach for the glory and I thought this was quite interesting I didn't realize this he recently was um, over east serving as a scout and an analyst in fact would have been over in New Zealand probably uh, for the Philippines yes. during the World Cup he was yes working with, with Alex, Alan Al- Alan Stagic yes so but it's interesting that um, this was some Aussie girls playing for the Philippines yes I think the Philippines went on a very aggressive um recruiting campaign yeah (laughs) i i I, the goalkeeper i think was an american well you know like qualified to play for the philippines um philippine uh filipino parents 80 percent of the squad was in the united states which is why they had the camp there yeah and um yes uh what was i going to say i i thought that maybe uh alex epakis might have been possibly invited into philippines as their coach Mm. when alan um, was signed here because yep. they'd been working together through yep. the tournament. Yep. And I thought, mm, okay. he hasn't re-signed yet for us. And, well, mm, he has now. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll go to break and come back and chat more football with Simon Hill. This is Penn, Pete and Louis in the studio. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Football is more than just a ball. It's where we find our feet, where we find our voice and a place to belong, where we get to express our true selves. Following the footsteps of our heroes, we can go from small to 10 feet tall, where we can all write our best stories. Because this game, the world's biggest game, has space for us all. Find your place. Join our team. These players they want more. They want to step off that field and win. Me. Just when Australia was crying out for a hero, they found one. Matildas now get to measure themselves against world's footballing elite. Till we outrun them. Keep it going, we're not done. Till it's done, all the way through. Till the pain pays off. Till we make you roar. Till we tell a bigger story. Till we settle the score. Till we stop them all. You can't beat the best. Till we do you proud. We're not like the rest. We're not done. Till it's done. 
Welcome back to the World Football Program. 107.9 FM, Penn, Pete and Lou in the studio. Good morning, good afternoon, Simon. How are you? Very good. How are you guys? Very well, thanks. Good. What more do we have to do? Is it just win the Women's World Cup and then we're done? Is that what we're going to get done? Just win it? What do you reckon? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We've got so much more to do. I mean, came came pretty close this time. Um, Obviously, there's still a bit of work to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was was a terrific tournament for the Matildas, albeit one that ended... Uh, in slightly disappointing fashion with, with the two defeats. But, um, you know, overall, it, it was a terrific tournament. Um, the Matildas, you know, galvanised the whole country, really, behind them. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was it was very encouraging. Um, obviously, you know, the, the next uh, part of the journey is, is to uh, uh, make the team that little bit better and uh, hopefully make the game overall a little bit better on the back of it. It was interesting to see... A press release yesterday of the, the checklist that the Matildas had. Yes, and <laughs> it was a uh, big checklist. Yeah, but you know, had you said to me pre-tournament, would you take you know position number four in the World yeah. Cup for Australia? I go absolutely. You know, yeah. I, I think as we were progressing, our expectations was getting higher and higher and higher. <laughs> yes, and maybe a little bit unrealistic. In after the end. after the second game, my expectations came crashing down. I was like, "Let's <laughs> yeah. just get out the group, please." <laughs> I, had Nigeria, us, I had us in the semi-finals, but I couldn't pick the finals. Nah. I just couldn't get that tip happening. Well, I mean, if you remember the '82 World Cup, Italy didn't win one game in the mm. uh, first stage, yeah. and they end up winning the tournament. So it just shows you with football. You can have three bad games and still end up being the champions. I wonder if that was a squad thing or an injury thing or a coach tactic thing. No, it was just a lot of draws in that group stage. There was, with exactly. In that one. It was yeah. all draws. Yeah. And and look at Spain. They lost 4-0 to Japan mm. and they end up winning the tournament. Yeah, and so Japan fantastic. were hot. Yeah. yeah, they were. I, I yeah. definitely would have tipped them. So, yes. Um, and how did Mackenzie Arnold not get goalkeeper of the tournament? I thought she kept out the most number of goals. She was awesome. What do you yeah. reckon, Simon, about goalkeepers in the tournament? Um, look, I th- you know, I think certainly the standard of, of goalkeeping in women's football has improved uh, an awful lot. I, I thought there were a handful of outstanding keepers, of which Mackenzie Arnold was one, albeit that she was pretty well protected yeah. uh, for most of the tournament as well by her defence, so you've got to give them some credit. Uh, Mary Earps was, was pretty good for England as well. Uh, Zachira Musevich from Sweden. I, oh, mean, I think I, she was the best. I think she put in the performance of the tournament yeah. against the Americans. She made 11 saves. She was absolutely outstanding. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you can make a case for, for two or three. Um, you know, Mackenzie certainly had a good tournament. Um, there was the one era of communication, I guess, with, with Alana Kennedy for yes. Nigeria's third and match winning goal in, in the group stage that you can, you know, maybe. Uh, point accusatory fingers at her and, and the defence as well, but uh, yeah, I d- look, you know, b- being goalkeeper of the tournament, I th- I'm sure she would have swapped that to to have played in the final. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the individual accolades are nice, but um, you know, overall, it's it's a team game, and um, I, I think that while they'll be you know rightly pleased with their efforts collectively throughout the tournament, I, I do think there's probably a a little bit of an element of what might have been. Um, and unfortunately, you know, those last two games, 
And uh, again, people have, have talked about the rotation. Did he do it enough? And I think that's a fair question mm-hmm. uh, because they did, particularly against Sweden in the third, fourth place game, they looked a bit cooked, yeah, to be honest, yeah. the Matildas. Yep. And uh, that's because, you know, they, they'd stuck essentially with, with the same starting 11 throughout. Well, I raised that earlier this morning, Simon, that, you know, if you've got a squad of 22, then what's that saying is the 22 best in the country that we have. So why wouldn't you be rotating? Why are you picking the same 11, maybe 14, 15, and you're not given a good rotation when you've got, still got quality on the bench? And is that saying you don't have faith in them or is that saying that, you know, you want to ease them into the tournament? I don't know, but he didn't use them all. Mm. Well, I mean, obviously that's the question for Tony Gustaf. So it's, tw- it's 23 plays, actually, not 22, but mm. the, your point is correct. Um and, you know, this was a question that was levelled against Tony Gustafsson, if you remember, uh, during the Asian Cup, which was in 2022. Mm. Uh, and I remember distinctly Georgie Armandale on our coverage on Channel 10 after Australia beat Indonesia, I think, 18-0 in the first game. And Australia were always going to win that game. And, and I remember Georgia Armandale saying, well, that's great. And, you know, it's lovely to win by so many. But what did we learn from, from a game that we were always going to win? And she actually made the point, you know, what, why did we start with Sam Kerr against Indonesia when we could have had a look at, for example, Remy Simpson? Yeah. Um, what happens if Sam Kerr gets injured? And at the time, of course, everybody went, oh, that's ridiculous. You know? <laughs> well, guess what happened? Yeah, exactly. um, you know, Sam Kerr got injured and they were, they were trying to find solutions to that. So... You know, there are questions to be asked, and they are legitimate. Um, the, the problem in this country is that, particularly with regards to the Matildas, um, people don't like questions being asked at this team. And I'm afraid that comes with, you know, being full-time professionals and being the nation's darlings. If you're going to if you're going to have the plaudits, you've also got to accept that there are going to be a lot of questions around the team because people care about it. Um, so I definitely think that's that's uh, a valid one. And again, you know, played out during the Women's World Cup that he didn't rotate things too much. That the selection of Kaya Simon to me is probably the biggest question. I mean, she didn't play a minute throughout the no. entire tournament. So no disrespect to Kaya, is a great player, but you know, she was injured going into the tournament, and you know, clearly wasn't fit to play. So you know, why was she there? Yes, I take on your point about um, don't like having the questions asked. I think that's just a level of professionalism that we have yet to attain. Um, you know how we handle the media in those situations. You know what the responses <coughs> are going to be. Um, you're going to get asked the hard question. I, I watched, I think it was Mark Swartzer interview Tony Gustafsson at some point, at asking mm-hmm. about that question about the rotation of substitutes and the timing of the substitutes and. I looked at his expression on his face and I thought, ooh, but you know, this should be stuff that is just par for the course. You take it and you move on. You don't take offence. You're going to get lots of interviews where people ask the tough questions. They're not going to ever stop. Yeah. And the players are going to get asked those tough questions as well. Yeah. And they shouldn't be in tears or mad or not ever want to do an interview again. That's just part of being a professional athlete, which we are learning to do. Well, you know, this is all part of becoming a inverted commas, football country. Um, you know, if, if you go to Europe, you go to South America, Africa, parts of Asia, most places in the world, the national teams are the flagship for the sport. And as such, uh, you know, people are, are so passionate about them that 
they ask a lot of questions and you've got to be able to deal with that. Now, look, to be fair to Tony Gustafsson, you know, he did deal with those questions. Uh, you know, my point really is, is about a lot of people that sort of surround the national teams, um, some of whom, you know, actually work in the media and don't like those questions being asked. Um, I, I saw, you know, one comment from a former Matilda, I won't say who she is, but um, who actually put out on Twitter, you know, that... Uh, th- th- this is how the media can support the national team. Well, that's not the media's job. Mm. We're, we're not there to cheerlead. We're there to tell the story and ask questions and, you know, set the the, the topics for discussion. Um, that's all uh, that we're supposed to do, really. Uh, obviously, you know, we want the, the national teams to do well, but... Uh, it's not our job to stand there with scarves on, cheering them from the sidelines. Our job is to ask questions. Um, and I think until we reach that level of maturity, you know, the, the, the game will remain on the periphery here in Australia. And I think that on that point, you know, you, you the media is asking the questions what's on the uh, fans' minds as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. For for me, yeah. I, I could I, for the life of me, I couldn't understand why Van Egmond was playing. The amount of turnover of ball when she came on, mm. when she came on, I was actually counting. In ten minutes, she turned over the ball seven times. Mm. You know, mm. I, I'm just thinking to myself that is not a world standard. Yeah, you know, Alana Kennedy. I I followed the Matildas around France in 2019. I'm passionate about Australian football, you know, and watching Alana Kennedy for me making these fundamental errors, she got us knocked out of the um, Women's World Cup. Sorry, not the Women's uh, the Olympics when she missed the penalty. There has been some back passes that she's given straight to the attackers. You are a tough customer. Oh, but honest, no. Well, I'm just being realistic, you know. I'm thinking. She's made some fundamental errors and had it been um, other teams in the world, I don't think she even got a, would have even got a place. But then do you think, on the other hand, she's also done a lot of good things, which is why she retained her position in the first 11? She's good at headers, her timing on the tackle. Um, she she also conceded an own goal that these, was fortunately these, these, disallowed. Yeah, exactly. From, from exactly. both sides of what you're saying, from both sides of what you're saying, this is all opinion yeah. and yes. it's good. You know, people, people are supposed to have opinions on the national teams and individual players. Yes. I don't necessarily agree with everything you just said there, but it's okay. You know, the old saying is, you, you fight to, fight to the death of your right to say it. Mm. Yes. And I, I think at, at times, at the moment, we are we are frightened to uh, question or criticise, um, and I, I don't quite understand why. Now, you know, for example, the, the game against Nigeria that the Matildas lost by by three goals to two. Goodness me. Had that been the Socceroos, Graham Arnold would have been strung from the nearest lamppost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yet, you know, with the Matildas in this particular tournament, there was okay. There was there was some criticism, to be fair, but uh, you know, a lot of people seem to me to, to, to hold back, and that's that's not the sign of a, of a mature football country. You've got to be able to have honest debate. As long as it's not abusive, of course, you, you don't want to yeah. slip into you know, personal abuse, but you've got to be able to have intelligent and passionate football discussions. Otherwise, you are just cheerleading. You're just providing PR spin. 
But, but Simon, there are a lot of people out there in the football community as well are very touchy. Mm -hmm. And if if I had expressed an opinion like that uh, in the media in front of Gustafsson, I probably would have been banned at the next uh, media press conference. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Do you get that feeling when when you're you're sitting there and you're, you're watching the... Now, we had the world media here. We didn't just have the Australian media. We had the world media here. And, you know, they put some really pertinent, strong questions towards not only him but all the coaches. Um, And you could see the facial expression change on their face when they got a hard question that they didn't like. Yep, yep. Mm. Well, look, there's, you know, there's also... And this is a sign of the times that, that we live in, unfortunately... You know, if, particularly if, you, if you're a male asking these questions with the women's game, and you, you, you are open to accusations of misogyny, which really yeah, exactly. is, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a very difficult uh, area. It, it's one that is, uh, you know, emerging at the moment because the women's game is is accelerating so fast, and people are taking a big interest in it. And that's that's brilliant. You know, that's the way it should be, um, but. Yeah, we've, we've got to be able to have honest discussions about football. Um, and, and, think, and, and the same goes for the men's, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, and there are, t- there are times with, with the men's game, particularly with you know, the, the A-League, and I've experienced that over the last 12 months. A lot of commentators and broadcasters and media people have as well. If you're critical of, of the A-League, you, you get a phone call within 10 minutes or, or you get a text message. There you go. Um, you know, you, we're almost not allowed... To ask these questions, and it's it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, obviously, it doesn't work with me, as I'm sure you'd, uh, you'd realise. I just tell them where to go, and uh, <laughs> you know, carry on. But it's, it's you're our type of guy, Simon. <laughs> well, I'm, look, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm also quite well established in, yes. in my position. But yeah. a lot of younger journalists aren't necessarily, and they can be intimidated by that, or they can feel yeah. that their job is under threat. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very difficult landscape, particularly when there are not too many jobs on offer in terms of full-time employment. So it's, it's a very delicate balance, and we, but we've got to be careful because at the end of the day, if, if you sanitise debate to a huge degree, the fans aren't stupid, and they're the people who pay you money. Yeah. Uh, the fans are not fooled by PR spin. So you've got to be able to be honest and have... You know, good opinions, good discussions. Um, otherwise, as I say, you're effectively just a PR agent for the sport. And we can't be that, at least not 100%. Well, four years on, what I saw the difference is that the skill set of the women has gone up exponentially. You know, the, all the onboarders were saying, wow, I didn't re- realise women football was mm. so good. I thought, well, where the hell have you been? Yeah. You know, it, it's it's a great standard and it's getting even better. Um, and th- that seems to what caused all this hype as well. People well, get on for the first well, to time. To be honest, I don't, in all honesty, the, you know, the level of, of football was, was never an issue for me. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's it's a great game to watch. It's It's slightly different to the men's. Uh, the men's is slightly different to the women's. It doesn't matter to me. You know, you're watching a game of football. Uh, those, some of those games at the World Cup were fantastic. Yeah. Some, of, some of them weren't great. That's the same as the men's. You know, it, it shouldn't be... 
I have this discussion all the time about the A-League and people say the same thing. Oh, you know, the standard's improving. And I always say there's nothing wrong with the standards. And it, it doesn't really matter anyway. If you, if you have an emotional attachment to the team that you're watching, goodness me, I watched Man City in the third division 20 years ago. The standard was bloody awful. <laughs> it didn't matter to me yeah. because it was my team. And, and that's the connection that we have to forge. Now, with the national teams, it, it comes as red because, you know, the nation of your birth is, is the one that you support. Um, with clubs, it, it requires a little bit more work uh, to, to make that connection. And that's what we have to do. Uh, all these comments about is the standard good enough? Oh, it's it's a poor league, or you know, the women's football is not as good as men's football. It's all a load of baloney. Uh, it's all relative. Um, and so long as you have, you know, your your passion for your team, and I'll, I'll just make one more comment on this. You know, I, I hear a lot in football terms generally. From people who watch other codes saying, well, yeah, but you know, the AFL or the Rugby League is the best in the world. <laughs> well, of course it is. It's the only one. Yeah. yeah. So by definition, it's also the worst. You know, how, how do we know if it's any good? Yeah. So it's, I, I, think, I think these arguments are, are spurious, really. Uh, it's about whether you have an emotional connection to the teams you're watching. And if mm. you do, and obviously we've seen people, you know, have that connection with the Matildas this time around. You know, you're, what you're watching is exciting. Yeah. It's great. So, yeah, I, there's no problem with the standard of the game. Now, before we let you go, uh, just a couple of uh, observations. Spain women, under 17, 21, and women, winners. Mm. Yep. Um, men, yeah. UEFA, Champions League. Yeah. So women are doing all right. Just wanted to mention that. Um, <laughs> and the rankings have come out. The FIFA rankings have come out. Yes. Um, so top four... Sweden, Spain, US, England, women, men, Argentina, France, Brazil, England. So England, men and women, both same, ranked number four. Mm. Uh, there was someone yeah. else, Netherlands as well, women's men's, both number seven. That's pretty cool. You're not going to comment on the well, fact that Australia... You know, no, I'm not. <laughs> Australia number 11. The rankings are, are not necessarily to be taken too seriously, I don't Correct. think, because yeah. the criteria is very complex. Um, but it gives you sort of a rough idea and... Yep. Uh, you know, the nations that are up near the top are the ones that are doing the right things. And, you know, you mentioned what Spain are doing. You know, their development system is, is exemplary. Um, obviously, it's helped by having things like La Masia in Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid with their academy system. You know, they invest huge amounts of money into developing players and coaches to help them develop. Uh, so there are lessons there for us in Australia, of course, and you know, obviously that requires a huge amount of investment, which we don't necessarily get. Um, you know, Eng England's the same, even though England have, have not actually, you know, won a World Cup uh, as yet with the women, and mm. it's been a long time since we've won one with the men. But uh, the FA Women's Super League and the investment that the clubs are putting over there is starting to pay dividends. You know, England are reaching the latter stages of, a, of lots of tournaments now in both the men's and women's. So, you, you know, you get back what you put in. It's not always all about money, but it sure helps. Um, and in this country, really, it's, it's a miracle that we're even semi-competitive, given that we operate on the smell of an oily rag. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's but true. will that change? <laughs> Who knows? Absolutely. <laughs> well, we'll see. Simon, it's been fantastic having a chat. And, by the way, it's really good to see you totally immersed in women's football the last couple of months. 
great job. Yeah, it was good fun. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I've always enjoyed calling women's football. I have no problem if they ask me to do it. I'm happy to do it. But uh, you know, largely I, I work on the men's, um, not necessarily because it's my choice, but that's where I'm told to go. So they want me to do the women's. I'll do it. That might change with the direction that women's football takes over the next nth number of years. Yep. Bring it on. You never know. Yeah, good one. Thanks very much, Simon. Cheers, guys. Cheers. That was Simon Hill, Women's World Cup match commentator, and no doubt we'll jump into the A-League when that season starts, and I assume that will be A-League men. A-League men's, which kicks off a week after the A-League women's. It does, it does, yeah. Um, I wonder if the... I noticed the commentators, Robbie Thompson commentates men and women's, and... Simon has started to commentate in the women's side. I wonder if he'll jump into any women's side for the A-League coming up. I imagine that would be all up to... His employer. Boss. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Stop and think who it was from Paramount. Guys, it's been great having a chat with you today. Thanks for getting us through two hours of football and everyone listening in. Not a problem. It's great. Lou and Pete and Penn signing out and Len and Bags Groove and the Jazz program coming up next. Thanks everyone. Enjoy your weekend. It's an absolute burster out there.